A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. We're going to kick off the podcast uh, with just a brief reading from a little uh, work of uh, fiction that uh, many of you, if you're like me, you were forced to read at some point and maybe didn't enjoy it. Oh, or maybe you got to, you uh, you had the opportunity to read it uh, later when you could enjoy it and appreciate uh, the uh, the many values uh, of the text. Uh, but here's just a little bit from the novel uh, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. The dawn came, but no day. In the gray sky, a red sun appeared, a dim red circle that gave a little light like dusk. And as that day advanced, the dusk slipped back toward darkness, and the wind cried and whimpered over the fallen corn. Men and women huddled in their houses, and they tied handkerchiefs over their noses, and they went out and wore goggles to protect their eyes. When the night came again, it was black night, for the stars could not pierce the dust to get down, and the window lights could not even spread beyond their own yards. Now the dust was evenly mixed with the air, and the emulsion of dust and air. Houses were shut tight, and cloth wedged around doors and windows, but the dust came in so thinly that it could not be seen in the air, and it settled like pollen on the chairs and tables, on the dishes. The people brushed it from their shoulders. Little lines of dust lay at the door sills. And it goes on like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, um, It's a bleak existence. It is a bleak existence, and Steinbeck captures it so, so beautifully on the page. And, uh, and since we are in this podcast discussing, uh, some of the science behind the Dust Bowl of the Great Depression and the, uh, the measures that were used uh, then and now to counter these traumatic ecological effects, 
it seemed fitting to kick it off with that. Yeah, which was, of course, the Dust Bowl is the, the backdrop for the Grapes of Wrath. And what we're talking about is a time period between 1931 and 1939. Mm-hmm. So a good eight years of um, this sort of existence of drought and uh, winds and, and clouds of dust that yeah. just plagued people. And it just must have seemed like the end of the world. For many people, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and of course, and the, the other part of this is that the Great Depression was going on. Right. So um, these were good field times, halcyon days. Not at all. Yeah. Now, the roots of it uh, kind of stretch back, of course. The roots of any bad time are always, uh, always go back into a more prosperous eras. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You, uh, you, you go back, uh, to the, uh, to the late 19th century. You have pioneers that moved into the semi-arid Midwestern Southern Plains of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they're enjoying some prosperous years, uh, in there. They're, they're planting, they're harvesting. It's going well. Um, but then a recession sets in following, uh, the first world war. Mm-hmm. Farmers need to up their profits, right? They need to up their production. So they turn to the machines. Ah, oh, oh, the yeah. machines. Machines. Um, and not so much robot overlords or anything, but rather mechanized farming techniques. Mm-hmm. They bought plows and other farming equipment. And between 1925 and 1930, more than 5 million acres of previously unfarmed land went under the plow. And uh, so they, they were getting record crops in like 1931. Yeah, which was great. But mm-hmm. it also led, led to overproduction, right? So right. The supply and demand was way off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a, as a result, you had a bunch of wheat um, that was overproduced with the Great Depression. Right. And that led to severely reduced market prices. Yeah, there's too much wheat and there's not as much money to buy it with anymore. So, right. So, so what are farmers going to do? They're going to try and earn back their production cost. By planting more wheat, expanding their their fields even more in an effort to get blood out of that stone. Yeah. But the problem here is that wheat is not so great um, in, in a drought. In fact, the natural drought-resistant grasses are best. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of those were peeled away with the plowing. And the wheat, uh, again, was placed in there. And also, any unused fields were also left bare. Right. So what do you see happening here? You see a lot of dust. Right. And plus, uh, plow-based farming, it tills the soil. Mm -hmm. So the the fertile topsoil that's so essential to anything growing out there, it gets, uh, it, it, it's, it's literally turned up into the wind. Mm -hmm. The wind, it's, 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 it's turned up by the plow. The wind catches it and it blows away. (laughs) So, and without it, so the ground becomes less nurturing to anything you're trying to grow in it. And it becomes even more susceptible to drought. Right. And then, of course, in 1932, what they saw happen, again, this, this began in 1931, but in 1932, that, that's really when the drought set in and the yeah. rain stopped. High temperatures, the sun's just baking everything. Yeah. In just one year, there were 14 dust storms reported. Uh, of course, these were known as the black blizzards. And the number actually increased to nearly 40. Right. And you should uh, I'll make sure that I include some sort of a, a historic photograph on the blog post that accompanies this mm-hmm. uh, this way, this uh, episode. But uh, if you do just a Google image search for photos, uh, Dust Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, you will see some of these just just really apocalyptic looking images of just I mean, just stuff right out of uh, the Grapes of Wrath. Uh, you know, these these thin farmers and their their families standing mm-hmm. there and on the horizon, just dark billowing dust clouds. Yeah, because what we're talking about but just by the end of 1934, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just just a couple of years into this, 35 million acres of farmland ruined and the topsoil covering 100 million acres blown away. 
Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the region, again, as you talked about, was the, the Southern Great Plains, but, um, and, and really in particular, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, New Mexico, and Colorado were affected pretty greatly. Yeah. So what happens? I mean, the, the, the ramifications of this, you have farmers losing their land. Mm-hmm. They, they, they can't stay. They can't, they can't pay for it. Uh, they're having to flee elsewhere to find work. They're going to California and trying to find, uh, you know, migrant labor jobs. Um, yeah, if you've ever heard the term Okie, that's what it's from. That's right? a pejorative yeah. term, yeah, referring to people who, you know, you could have come from Kansas, but you might have been called an Okie after Oklahoma mm-hmm. if you showed up in California, uh, mainly because there were only so many jobs available in, um, in, in California. And of course, all the, the people coming in from the Great Plains really just made all the, uh, the people in California Pretty upset. Yeah, there's a lot of animosity <clears throat> between uh, the you know, native Californians and the right. uh, the the foreign workers in their midst. Uh, Exacerbated yeah. again by the economic conditions. So what so what really fascinates about me about all this is that I mean you have this uh, this ecological disaster that occurs mm-hmm. uh, due to um, in, in large part to mechanized agriculture. Uh, humans remake their world. An attempt to uh, to better feed themselves and to uh, to better um, supply the standard of living they've become accustomed to, mm-hmm. and in doing so, they almost create a desert in the middle of the United States. Um, and uh, and l- luckily, people realized w- what was happening, you know, and then they were like, "Well, let's let's fight this. Let's let's solve this problem before it gets any worse." Um, because it was, it was already pretty bad. So it's, it's interesting to look at these, at some of the steps that they took to, to fight the Dust Bowl, mm-hmm. to fix what had been broken. And that's what I think is so fascinating about this, because it really is this large scaled effort, um, by the government to, mm-hmm. to come in and, and, uh, you know, try to reverse nature. Really. Right. Well, actually, we shouldn't, <laughs> the anti nature, I, I suppose you could say. Well, it, it to to sort of take an, a, a more modern and futurist way of looking at it, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like when, when you look at uh, examples of climate change mm-hmm. and people uh, l- looking at the way that that humans have remade the the climate of the planet and then trying to to fix it sometimes with crazy schemes that also tinker with the environment, like the idea of of putting a whole bunch of mirrors in orbit or mm-hmm. essentially uh, setting off volcano. I mean, there there are a whole list of of different uh, crazy seed ge- clouding, seed clouding, uh-huh. various. Uh, uh, ge- geoengineering uh, techniques that have been proposed over the years mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, it comes off like the water in the tub is too cold, so let's add some hot. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> and then you can imagine a situation where the water in the, in the tub is too hot, so let's add some cold. Eventually, does the uh, the tub overflow? I don't know. Yeah, when we talk about sea cloudy, we're talking actually about munitions shot up into the air, uh, particularly during uh, or right before the Olympics in Beijing. Right. And they were doing that because they were trying to get actual rainfall to come down to clear some of the pollutants mm-hmm. in that city. So that's what we're, uh, one of the things we're talking about when we're talking about engineering your environment. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about how FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, actually uh, created something called the Shelter Belt Project. But, of course, there were other steps that were taken on a more economic level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Various stuff with the New Deal, um, civil conservation uh, corps that ca- came in to you know created all these new jobs, and people were going around planting trees and digging ditches and building mm-hmm. reservoirs. But uh, the part that yeah, the part that really interested us was uh, were, were some of these things, such as the shelter belts, right? Which uh, again, imagine a 
the, the situation here. You've tinkered with the natural environment. You've taken the landscape and changed it into wheat fields. Mm-hmm. And your problem here is that wind is just sweeping across with all this dust. So you want to somehow break that wind. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, break it with trees, not yes. with flatulence. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. You, you want to break up the wind. You want to, you, you want to build a wall against the wind. Mm-hmm. And what is nature's wall against the wind? Um, trees. In, in many cases, it is trees. Mm-hmm. So the idea of these shelter belts is to, is to, Plant rows of trees beside fields to slow the wind and reduce wind erosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course that wouldn't be the only thing. Also, there was also this uh, push for no-till farming, uh, so that you're not turn- taking your precious uh, topsoil mm-hmm. and turning it up and letting the wind take it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's uh, and then there's also strip cropping. Uh, there was another technique which was. Um, uh, you, you've seen pictures of this. I had seen pictures of this and didn't really realize what I was looking at till now. And uh, and this is where you have uh, a strip of crops planted, and mm-hmm. there's a strip of dirt, and, a, and some crops planted, and a strip of dirt. And from in an aerial view, especially, it looks very it's very beautiful. It's like hey, there's a pattern there across the fields. Uh, you've probably seen it uh, if you've had any kind of uh, you know flights uh, mm-hmm. you know, across the states. Uh, but the idea here is you're going to use this uh, section, and you're going to let this section of soil uh, replenish itself. Right. And then the next year, the parts. Uh, uh, the part, the strips that are crops will be dirt, and the strips that, that are dirt will be crops. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product, and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, the shelter belt, how did this play out? Uh, what was the original idea? Well, I mean, this this idea was pretty huge. It was a project that was estimated to cost $75 million over a period of 12 years. Um, and, you know, of course... Funding disputes arose. FDR had to transfer the program from the Civilian Conservation Corps to the WPA, where the project was a little bit more hamstrung. Um, so what they were talking about is replacing farmland with forest. And that, of course, did not uh, go over well with all the farmers. Right. Yeah, they were talking about forest-like structures that mimic natural conditions, basically walls made out of forest. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, this side uh, argues about it. This side brings up some concerns. And the the uh, the, the finished product is somewhat diminished uh, from the original uh, design. Yeah. And, in fact, you know, uh, on a lot of the, the land that was supposed to be used kind of got um, – Attenuated to the point where, you know, some, some of the original plan was like halved the amount of land that was actually mm-hmm. able to be planted. Also, what was planted, um, was very different from the original plan. You know, conifers were something that they thought would do well in some areas. Um, but politics and economics forced them to instead rely on cottonwoods. And the reason why they planted cottonwoods is because they grew pretty quickly and they were a much more flashy, obvious sign that there was a plan in place and right. being cultivated. And people were really kind of antsy about this. Again, remember, it's the Great Depression. Um, you know, people are in dire circumstances. They don't want to wait 12 years to see this plan come to fruition. Right. And and you have politicians involved in this that are very concerned with not only the uh, the act of helping, but the mm-hmm. perceived act of helping. 
So. Right, right. And, but I think it's a huge effort, right? Because yeah. you have to get everybody on board with you. You have to get the farmers. You have to get the politicians. You have to get the, the public. Um, and of course, it's just always a problem when you try to get a bunch of people in a room to, to agree on something. So was it successful? Um, well, on, on, on one hand, n- no. They, I mean, they weren't able to completely, um, reverse the reverse effects. The effects. Yeah. Uh, about 90% of the 450 million hectares of arid land in North America still suffers from moderate to severe desert, uh, desertification. Mm-hmm. But um, they did say that it reduced it by 65% the amount of soil blowing around. So yeah, definitely so definitely a success when you look at it from that view. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, this is one of those things when you step back. Historically, it looks like much more of a success than at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some farming practices came out of it that were really beneficial that are still being used today. Right. All right. We are going to talk about Stalin and why he let a, a quack biologist create uh, his own sort of Great Stalin Plan for the Transformation of Nature. That's the actual name of that. The Great Stalin Plan for the Transformation of Nature. I love Look, that. It's it's so beautifully um, Soviet, you know. It is. It's a, we, we will bend nature to our will beginning <laughs> now. Yeah, it was. Uh, this takes us back to uh, October 1948. Uh, Soviet government announces that uh, uh, what was actually the world's first state-centered program to reverse human-induced climate change. Uh, They were going to construct 5.7 million hectares of forest in the Russian south. Um, There were going to be irrigation canals were going to be built. Uh, It it was a crazy, gigantic uh, project. There were going to be shelter belts, like we were talking about, these these forest strips to break up the wind. And uh, and they were going to create, like, the the idea was to sort of recreate this imagined prehistoric state of the land. Yes, they were going to try to change the topography of this land, mm-hmm. which I think is so ambitious and, and so sort of wonderful. But, of course, the problem is that Stalin had um, been taken by the ideas of this quack biologist, Trofim Lyshenko, and this guy was given carte blanche over Soviet agriculture science. Um, and he had no solid scientific theory on how to properly cultivate for shelter beds. And he actually understood plant and trees as coexistence in terms of class warfare. Wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, seriously, this is this is sort of what his um, whole plan was predicated on. OK. And, and here's a little excerpt of, about what he actually had to say about it. And I will try my my Russian accent, although I'm going to apologize in advance. Forest trees are mortally afraid of steppe grasses, particularly couch grass and catchweed. Okay, I'm going to stop doing that. The first detachment (laughs) of steppe vegetation in the struggle between the steppe and the forest. And then it goes on to say, planting oaks in dense clusters, however, could give them an upper hand in this battle. Wild plants, particularly various species of forest trees, possess the biologically useful property of self-thinning. At this point, someone would want to interrupt and be like, Dude, are we still talking about forests? What are you, what are you really getting at? <laughs> oh, no, no, it gets better. It gets better. He says, dense sprouts of wild plant species, oaks in this case, so regulate their number by means of self-thinning that its individual members cannot interfere or oppress each other. And at the same time, the entire area is occupied by this particular species. Other species, competitors of the given species are not admitted to this area. <laughs> And so I love this. Um, and this is according to Malcolm McGrath. He's the author of Stalin and Modernity. 
Uh, he says the fittest oak trees survive and pass their genetic material to their offspring, right? Mm-hmm. While the less fit trees do not survive or reproduce. Lyshenko's suggestion that oak trees band together and regulate their own growth so as not to oppress or interfere with each other violated this m- most basic notion of Darwin's theory. Lyshenko had a misunderstanding, basically, of genetics and biology, and he couldn't help, really, to, to anthropomorphize uh, vegetation and imbue it with human traits. Like, I can't help but imagine him, like, throwing a meeting together at work and, and doing this thing where, like, the, the proper trees to be planted will be the ones that do not steal other people's lunch from the refrigerator. And, you know, we're just yes, taking out some other kind of personal vendetta. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. And those, oh, those shrubs, oh, how they hate those trees and those trees hate those <laughs> shrubs. Um, but it, I mean, this was kind of a big deal because this was a huge project. Right. And in fact, uh, in celebration of the plan, they had symphonies and stories were written and a painting showed, uh, Stalin unfurling maps of his agriculture schemes. Yeah. But as so often happens with, uh, with schemes that are so attached to an individual, yeah. the individual dies, Stalin ends up dying, uh, in the, in, and then it's, it kind of falls apart. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and last on the business. I understand now. 
She's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, see, that's that's, that's the problem of a dictatorship in this, uh, well, in many cases, but uh, particularly here, because there's not a lot of voices that are being heard, a lot of voices of dissent, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There weren't a, a, a committee of members brought in to say, hey, let's talk about this plan and how best to execute it. It was basically the the brainchild of this one guy. Who, um, who just thought it all had to do with, uh, with these different uh, socioeconomic classes of plants. Right. Now, uh, throughout the world, I mean, we continue this, this struggle with and against nature, uh, you know, obviously continues to play out, uh, anywhere there's, uh, desertification or climate change uh, mm-hmm. taking place. Uh, I mean, it, just in the same areas, uh, the same regions that were affected by the Dust Bowl. I mean, people still make it there. Uh, it's still their job and their 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 passion to figure out how best to balance agricultural uh, practices and the natural environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in other areas, for instance, there's the uh, Green Wall Sahara Initiative, uh, which uh, called for the the planting of 300 million uh, trees and three million hectares of uh, of of land stretching across uh, the African continent. Uh, and the whole idea here is, of course, to uh, to keep uh, the Sahara from advancing, mm-hmm. to keep uh, desertification from taking hold in 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 crucial uh, land areas. Right. Uh, and then in in China, there is uh, there's likewise this uh, this green wall project there to uh, prevent the Gobi Desert from expanding. And so that they've been uh, projecting this uh, uh, 2,800 mile stretch uh, that goes from uh, outer Beijing through Inner Mongolia. And this is again a forest belt, right? A yeah. forest belt to serve as that natural wall against mm-hmm. the winds and the desert that it carries. And this is actually um, that the dust that's carried over is called the Yellow Dragon. And each spring, the dust from from those northern deserts is swept up, and it just whips eastward blasting to Beijing. Mm. And in fact, in the Sierra Nevadas in California, they've found evidence of that dust from China, you know, spreading over to the United States and actually changing. They think there's some, um, some somewhat definitive results coming back from studies now, actually changing the climate there in the Sierra Nevada. Wow. Yeah. So these, yeah, these dust storms, uh, they can uh, pose quite the problem 
uh, for well, human civilization, right? And, and I mean, is, and for uh, for agricultural practices, especially. Yeah, and, and in a lot of cases, this is a um, life or death matter, right? Right. Um, and trying to control it just sort of makes sense. I mean, it, it's uh, unfortunate that there are uh, ways that we have uh, sort of screwed up the land. Right. Man has, and then of course there's you know obvious weather patterns that we can't do anything about. But as much as we can go in and ameliorate this, you know, the better. And it actually gives me hope for terraforming in the future sometime. Yeah. You yeah. Know? If we know what we're doing when we go into, go into these, uh, these foreign worlds and mm-hmm. attempt to recreate Earth-like conditions, uh, we'll have a better understanding of what Earth-like conditions actually are. Right. I think the more manipulation we can, uh, you know, <laughs> do here on Earth, mm-hmm. a, a positive manipulation, the better our chances are at understanding other atmospheres and uh, environments and sort of adapting to them. Yeah, yeah so, I think so. you know, we talk about the Dyson Sphere, we talk about all these other um, sort of what seem like pie-in-the-sky projects in the future, but really, I mean, this is this is um, sort of like where the rubber meets the road in terms of trying to carry that out at a different level. Yeah, and I think it's, it's one of the things that makes the Dust Bowl so fascinating and, and, and FDR's uh, and, and the U.S. government's uh, approach to dealing with it. It, mm-hmm. it serves as an interesting... Interesting model and an interesting, uh, you know, example. Well, all right, let's uh, let's ask the robot to bring us some mail. All right, thank you. Uh, let's see what we have here. We heard from uh, a listener by the name of Ink. No, Cole. Sorry, the email confused me. They're Ink in the email, and then they're Cole at the bottom. Uh, Cole uh, points out that HSW. Uh, we were talking about uh, using saying HSW here at work instead mm-hmm. of how stuff works. Right. Uh, and he says HSW has five syllables because the W has three syllables. Uh, how stuff works has three syllables total. So uh, just clarifying there because I, I think I might have uh, uh, said something about uh, how it has the same number of syllables if you actually speak the abbreviation. But, yeah, you're actually using more syllables. So. HSW, how stuff works. I still think that it's still more economic to, to use the HSW. H-S-W, that's five. How stuff works, that's three. I, I don't know. It, it, you, you break it down into syllables, H-S-W is just silly. But Yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to draw out the W. Yeah. You're, See yeah. how fast I'm saying it? W. Well, okay, all right. I'll let you have that one. Uh, let's see, who else did we hear from here? Uh, we heard from a listener by the name of Carlin, uh, writes in and says, you failed to, uh, talking about our protest episodes, we mm-hmm. did a couple of them, he said, you failed to mention one of the most successful protest movements of our time, the Tea Party protests. These started across the country after the announcement of Obamacare. They resulted in the election of Scott Brown, uh, the change of, of control of Congress, and a takeover of the Republican Party. Yeah, so I think that's valid. Uh, no matter what you think of the, uh, the Tea Party, it uh, certainly is a grassroots uh, movement that uh, yeah, certainly involves protest. You're making a face at me, though. Uh, I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, okay. this is not a face. This is just a, hey, that's a, that's a piece of mail right there. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, uh, Carlin brings up a good point. Uh, so I thought I, I do. Would yeah, that. I agree. And uh, who else did we hear from here? We heard from listener Sarah. Sarah writes in, and uh, she uh, shared some interesting links with us that we'll uh, we'll have to uh, look at in uh, 
in, in more detail later. But uh, she also added, uh, during the summers, I either work at summer camps in Colorado or participate in medical camps in Africa. This gives me a lot of travel time to sit and think and brood. It's for this reason that when I'm traveling or just uh, left to my own uh, devices, I like to tune uh, into HSW, or she mm-hmm. to HSW mm-hmm. uh, because it keeps my self-abusive brain occupied and less likely to ruin my good mood. I'm not sure if that is just masking a deeper uh, societal issue, but it is a good enough reason for me to keep my podcast handy. I'm a big fan of the HSW podcast, and I am happy to blame you guys for my healthy state of mind. Keep up the brilliant work. Ah, I like that. Uh, Self-abusive brain, I have to say. that I think we all struggle with that sometimes. Definitely, definitely. So uh, yeah, to any extent that we can, uh, we can help you guys out and occupy your mind and getting it, uh, get your mind rolling um, around some um, issues outside yourself. Uh, then that's great. And, occupy uh, your mind. Now that's a protest. There you go. Occupy your mind. And uh, and also it sounds like uh, Sarah's up to some really good uh, uh, stuff here, participating in medical camps in Africa and all. So indeed, good good work. If you would like to share anything with us, you can do so uh, in a number of ways. There is a Facebook page, of course. Uh, we're stuffed to blow the mind on there. And if you prefer to use Twitter, we are on Twitter uh, under the handle Blow the Mind. And if you would like to expand beyond 140 characters, you may do so by sending us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.